Hey everyone, welcome to the Seven Sage LSAT Podcast. My name is Henry Ewing, and I'm joined with my co-host, Asta Sinha. And today we are also joined by one of our tutors. I'll let you introduce yourself. Hi everyone, my name is Ankita Satpathy, and like Asta said, I'm one of the Seven Sage tutors, and I'm also a rising 2L at Harvard. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, the pleasure is all ours. Are you are you in Boston this summer, Ankita? I am not. I'm working in Washington, D.C. this summer. Well, Akita, tell us a little bit about what kind of got you to Harvard. What does your kind of law school journey look like? When did you kind of decide, oh, I'm going to go to law school, study for the LSAT? When did all that begin? Yeah, totally. So I went to undergrad at the University of Virginia, where I studied foreign affairs and government, So, which is just a UVA-specific term for international relations, basically, or political science, which I think is a pretty common track that a, that a lot of students pursue before law school. So I think the idea of going to law school and blending my interests in U.S. foreign policy with the law was kind of always in the back of my head, but it wasn't something that I was completely certain about. There's a lot of ways to work in government without being a lawyer. And so I think for me, I, I knew fairly early into college that if I was going to go, it wasn't going to be immediately after undergrad. I wanted to work a little bit save, take some time, think about it, be really sure. So I ended up starting law school three years after finishing undergrad. And I spent one of those years pursuing a graduate fellowship in Beijing and two of them working in management consulting. So very different field from the law, but I think just something that helps you become a little bit of a professional. That was a, a good summer. I'd like to roll back the tape a little bit, if you would. You know, whenever someone says they major in international relations, I'm like, what did what did you even do? <laughs> I'd love to like like what do you what do you do in an international relations class? <laughs> yeah, is it history or or what's the situation? Sure. So it's it's a subfield of political science. So I think some schools just have poli sci as one major, but it's really a collection of disciplines. So someone's focus might be political theory. Someone's focus might be more domestic American politics, or their focus might be more global like mine was. But I mean, you make a good point that it is sort of a blend of fields. It involves some history, it involves some economics, and people have their own paths that they pursue within it. So some people pursue a regional focus. I, I did that to an extent. I have a particular interest in US-China relations, but other people will, will pursue a thematic focus. So be more focused on, you know, the global economy or human rights or, or something like that. And you can see how some of those fields would have more of an overlap with the law than others. So you mentioned in undergrad, you wanted to be a little bit more sure about pursuing a legal career. So what was it that finally made you take the jump and, and go for it, go to law school? You know, what kind of made you more sure in that decision? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of it was talking to lawyers that work in this field, when you say you want to work in something like the overlap of U.S. foreign policy and law, like we all know that exists, but I think it, not having done it, it's hard to know what exactly that entails. So I tried to take some time to do informational interviews with people. I talked to a couple lawyers at state. I talked to a couple lawyers at multilaterals and understand what their careers looked like and, and how it would be different than trying to work for one of those agencies straight out of undergrad. And then in terms of when I actually got ready to start applying, part of that, honestly, was because I had the time during the pandemic to put into the LSAT and putting my application together. Had it not been for that, I still think I would have gone, but it might have taken me a little bit longer to make the jump. Mm. So you decide, you think, all right, law school is for me. And did you know about the LSAT? Had you heard of it at that point? I had, yeah. I had had, you know, a number of friends that 
had already applied to law school or were already in law school. So I knew there was a test I would have to take. Yeah. I mean, what did they say about it? Did they say it was a scary thing? Like, what was your interpretation before you actually, you know, got down to studying it? Yeah. I mean, well, no one really speaks about it like it's a fun experience, right? I think as tutors... Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) I I think as as tutors, we try to make it as painless as possible, but it didn't exactly get glowing reviews. I think mostly what I heard is that your mileage may vary. You know, I, I asked a lot of people like how long did it take you to study and what do you think I should do? And everyone can only share their individual story since it is something that varies so much person to person what a good study plan should look like. Yeah, uh, very true. Yeah, like not painful does not equal pleasurable necessarily. So you you decide you got to study the LSAT. You've heard about it. What was your first like experience with it? Did you did you buy Seven Sage right away? Did you get the ten actuals? I didn't find Seven Sage right away. I did find some advice online that you should only practice with official LSAT questions. So I had the prep. Plus, I think it's called, that LSAC makes available. And I took the diagnostic, the free one that's on their website. I think it's June 2007. So I, I took that, got my baseline score. And then... How did you do? Not, not too bad, but I had some improvement to make. <laughs> I did fairly well, actually, for it being a cold diagnostic. So I think I had some natural strengths in reading comprehension and logical reasoning and mostly needed to improve games. But I will say that even after I started studying, I did have score fluctuations. So there was some beginner's luck involved, and I saw LR and RC sometimes get worse before it got better. No, I was, I was just going to say, I think that makes a lot of sense. You, you know, your diagnostic, they call it a starting point, but really your starting point is going to be a range. Some reading passage or reading comp passages are just going to end up meshing with you a lot better than other ones. Some games are going to make a little bit more sense up front than others. So, you know, your first diagnostic, it's a good place to start. But I think, you know, as you said, your mileage varies, of course, right? You know, just because you have a quote-unquote good starting diagnostic or quote-unquote bad starting diagnostic, that's not really going to be an indication of the struggles you face during your LSAT journey, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Was there anything that you thought prepared you well for LR and RC? What do you think kind of gave you that boost when you took the diagnostic? I think my undergraduate major was extremely reading heavy and not only completing large amounts of reading in short amount of time, but also reading critically and with an eye towards sort of critiquing an author's argument. So I think the the mindset that's so important when you take the LSAT that I don't just want to accept everything that's on this page. I, I want to be on the offensive a little bit and find flaws in the argument. I think that was a mindset that was somewhat already instilled in me. Yeah, no, I, I, it sounds really similar to philosophy where that was one thing about philosophy that I think prepared me pretty well for this test was to really like do a lot of reading quickly and identify, you know, the premises of the author's argument, the conclusion and where they went wrong, where they went wrong, where they went good. What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? And it sounds like, you know, it's not just philosophy that does that. It's international relations. And I don't know. What was your major again, Asa? Mine was, you're going to laugh, geography and criminology. Why would we laugh? I mean, maps. A lot of people laugh when I say that I majored in geography in undergrad. I think it's fun. It's fun and fresh. I loved it. I really, really enjoyed my time in my geography classes. Geography is not well taught in U.S. public schools. So I think that's, I think that's great that you <laughs> know geography better than most of us. I appreciate that. I appreciate y'all's neutral reaction. 
There's only like a 50% chance I'd pick out South Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) It's like half of it tells you where it is. It's south of something. Most things are south of something. Awesome. Come on. (laughs) Whatever. Point is, I usually get laughed at just a little bit when I say my major. It just doesn't, isn't one of those typical kind of pre-law majors, right? You typically hear poli-sci, international studies, philosophies, history, you know, geography is a little bit different, but I do think it it prepared me well too, just kind of in a a different way. Logic games was a lot easier for me to kind of pick up because I was already really used to thinking spatially with a lot of the classes and projects and stuff that I did. Anyways, enough about me. We're here to interview Ankita. So thinking about when you started studying, you said you had some fluctuations. What kind of helped you get to a point where you were consistently scoring high? Was there a game changer moment? Did it just happen gradually? What got you? Yeah, so my biggest score increase came with games because when I first started studying, I had no approach to games. I was just kind of brute forcing my way through the questions. And, you know, as we know, if that's your approach, you're not going to finish the section. So that's where Seven Sage was the most helpful to me. The game explanation videos and the lessons on diagramming and splitting game boards, that was all really useful to me. And I just made sure to practice as many as possible. I think the volume with games is, is the key unlock there. For LR and RC, I think that was a little bit more learning the formal logic and when to use that versus when to rely on intuition. You know, because my diagnostic was pretty good, I felt like, okay, I have a I have a strong intuition when it comes to LR, but you can't take every question on intuition alone. Sometimes you're going to need to diagram the statement and use conditional logic and know what a contrapositive is. So I definitely had to spend some time on the fundamentals there. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and really hearing you say that games comes down to just doing a bunch of volume, it, it's really just so true. It's kind of, it, I mean, it's definitely a disappointing thing to tell someone who's like looking like, how do I improve my games, right? It, there's a bunch of very specific little points you can improve you can tell people you know like like oh you know look for rules that mention the same game piece yada 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 split when there's two options but but ultimately a lot of games improvement just comes from doing a lot of them getting the repetitions in so yeah i totally agree with that and and the formal logic aspect i i i I would also second that very few people are exposed to formal logic before the LSAT. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I took a conditional reasoning or a logic class. I remember I dropped out of it because I was like, this is too hard. I couldn't even understand. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I don't oh, know what that tells you. I don't know what that tells you about, <laughs> you know, my uh, capabilities as a freshman in college when it came to if then statements. But I remember thinking like, this is too hard. <laughs> You've since overcome that and gotten much, much better. You know, was there like a particular place that like you struggled? Did you have any dark moments when you were taking this test? And, and I, we, of course, we could talk about like, you know, the, the light and how you got through them. But when it comes to LG or LR, did you find any specifically hard question types there? Or did you find like you were plateauing for a period of time? There were definitely plateaus. I think score increases are often not linear. And I initially, you know, didn't see any score increase, even though I was trying to learn a bunch of games. And then once I did sort of a critical mass of them, I saw a big score increase and then nothing again for a little while while I got to, you know, the next level of speed and skill. So I think it, it does take time and I try to encourage patience and persistence when I when I talk to students. But yeah, it definitely wasn't like a every day I study and see my score go up. Yeah. I actually kind of want to move into your experience teaching the LSAT and working with students because you've 
you know, I know firsthand you've worked with a ton of different clients, a lot of clients in very different points of their studying. Have you found that there's a piece of advice or a general tip that you've given your clients that kind of across the board works or across the board applies? Anything you'd want to share with listeners? That's a great question. Well, I guess to the point we made earlier about study plans being very individual, I don't know that there is one particular tip that's worked for every single person uh, other than sort of tips about taking your time with it, being patient, pushing out, you know, pushing out your test date if it comes to that because you know that you have more potential left in you to achieve. And then I think, I mean, I, I already mentioned about the volume, but on some level, I think a lot of this test just becomes pattern recognition. And if you're able to expose yourself to a wide variety of material and not only expose yourself to it by just taking it, but also by reviewing it really thoroughly and explaining to yourself why every single wrong answer choice is wrong on a question that you really struggled with, I think that can help people kind of no matter where they are currently scoring. Yeah, when when you're looking, when, when, talk a little bit about that process, right? Which which is like really explaining why an answer choice is wrong. Is just saying it like, oh, this is obviously wrong enough, or 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 you know, what's the level of detail that you want to get into with some of these answer choices? I know when I when I work with clients sometimes, and we think about like the wrong answer journal, it's always a debate of like, how much do you need to go into the wrong answers? How useful is it? I don't know what your philosophy on that would be. So my personal opinion is that it's very useful to go into the wrong answers with some granular level of detail. Once you're at a point where, you know, you're not scoring like half the section wrong. I think in the beginning of a study process, that's just not going to be a very efficient way to spend your review time. And you should understand why the right answer is right. Do your best to get the most learning out of the question you can in a short amount of time and then move on. But I know for me, towards the end, like when I'm looking to go from maybe a minus four or a minus five in a section to a minus zero, minus one, a minus two. At that point, I think it is hugely useful to be very detailed in your review of the wrong answers. So I used to make myself, if there was a question I really didn't understand, not only watch the explanation video, but then reteach it to myself out loud and literally explain why every wrong answer choice was wrong or explain to someone else if someone in my family maybe was patient enough to listen for a little while. Oh my goodness. You got good family members. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, this was this was the pandemic. So we really we did not have a lot going on. But uh, yeah, I think you can totally explain it to yourself. It doesn't have to be to another person. But I do think detailed review is important. Yeah, what you're talking about is explaining problems to another person is super, super helpful. You have to really, really understand something in order to communicate an explanation to another person, a lay person. And if you can get to that point of explaining it to, you know, your friend or explaining a difficult problem to, you know, a friend or family member, what you've done is you're forcing your brain to think about what makes this problem hard, right? Like, why do people fall for this trap answer? Or, or why do people not pick this right answer choice? And if you can explain that to another person, it means you've solidified the understanding in yourself. I think it's, it's super useful, not just for people who want to tutor, but for, you know, aspiring high scores. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. Something I think about a lot is that tutoring has been some of the best studying that I've done for the LSAT, even though obviously I'm tutoring after I'm done with the LSAT. But I really like my understanding of the test, I think solidified so much more once I started teaching it than at any point from when I was studying independently. How many times did you take it in Keto? 
I took it once. I did take the LSAT. Uh, <laughs> Do you hate that? Oh, okay. God, I, you know, I, I went in neutral and I'm I'm actively disliking you. Oh more my now. god, I know this is horrible. You're a one and done. Come on, <laughs> I, you guys are the the listeners are really not gonna like me when they hear this. But no, but let but let me also say let me say some things I think that were sort of uniquely like helpful to my LSAT experience. So like I already mentioned, it was it was during the pandemic, right? So I had a lot more free time than usual. I also took the LSAT flex at that time, which is a shorter exam. And in my opinion, a shorter exam means an easier exam because it's less mental endurance. And I also had a start date for a job get postponed also because of the pandemic. So I had a lot of time to devote to the tests that I wouldn't have otherwise. So I, I realized that most people are not studying in kind of those perfect studying circumstances. And a lot of studying for the test is just making the best of the time that you do have. And even if you only have 30 minutes or an hour a day, figuring out, well, how am I going to use it efficiently? Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, even having eight hours a day of studying, you're really getting diminishing returns on every additional hour, right? That first half hour is so much better studying than that last half hour, in my opinion. So yeah, even if you don't have a pandemic and and friends you can hold hostage, family you can hold hostage and explain to, you still have good ways to to study. So you, you take it once, score release happens, you go crazy. You get your applications. Where did you apply, by the way? I actually applied the year after I took the LSAT. So I had just started working or I was just about to start working, I think, around the time that I took the exam and score release happened. And I knew that I wanted to be at that job for around two years. So I didn't end up applying until the next cycle. That being said, even with all that time, I still didn't, <laughs> couldn't get it together enough to apply super early in the cycle. I was into December when I got my applications in, but it worked out in the end. You applied in December and got into law school? I know. Shocking. Shocking. Do you know what? This is really going to shock listeners. <laughs> I submitted some applications the first week of January. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Oh, my God. Un- unimaginable. You might as well have committed a crime. The, the, What's the going on here? The cardinal sin of law school admissions. <laughs> um, I, you know. yet, yet I live to tell the tale. I do remember, you know, you and I were actually having a conversation about, I was asking for advice about taking gap years, a couple of years before law school, what to do, how to spend that time. And I just wanted you to kind of talk a little bit about your experience in your gap years and how you think that prepared you best for law school. Was there anything that you were kind of taken aback by that you just weren't used to after having been out of school for a while? What was that gap year experience like for you? Yeah, well, I definitely am a proponent of taking some time between undergrad and law school if you have interest in doing it. I know that there are some people that are just so completely sure that this is their path and they feel financially and academically ready to commit to it. And if that's you, I think that's amazing. Godspeed and go for it. But I think if you have any hesitation, there's just no reason not to take some time to think about it because it is such a big commitment, not only of your financial resources, but of your time a big lifestyle change. So for me, it was helpful to work for a couple of years just to see what it's like to, to go from being a student to being a professional and get some experience in a fast-paced environment that kind of mirrors a lot of the environments that lawyers tend to work in, even though I wasn't working in a legal setting. Another thing I think is that being out of school for some time before I jumped back into it with law school made me really excited to start school and really grateful to be there. Like, I, and, I, and I don't think that's something I would have said coming straight out of undergrad, right? There is maybe a little bit of academic burnout that happens to people. And truly during 1L, like it felt like a joy that my full-time job was to learn, even with all the pressures of 1L. And I just don't know if I would have had that perspective personally 
if I had not been coming from work. Yeah, working's terrible. Tell me about it. <laughs> that is not what I that is not what I said. That is not what I said. But you are, especially in entry level jobs, you are working, you know, on, on someone else's time. So yeah, no, no, for sure. So you, you're ready to jump into your one L year. Something I hear a lot with clients, and, I, and we talked on this a little bit with our last interview, but this idea of like, oh man, why do I have to do the LSAT? It's 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 so silly. I'm not going to be doing any of this when I actually become a lawyer. True. Well, I don't know. I want to say true, but did you find that? Well, I think but did you, do. you did you did you find like there's any tools from LSAT studying that helped you in law school? I think you do need to be able to dissect arguments critically. And it's a little bit different in law school than on the LSAT, right? Because I I didn't find myself in law school necessarily writing out like premise one, premise two, what's the gap in in the author's conclusion, right? But the general concept of let me be a little bit skeptical about what I'm reading. Let me try and see the other side. Let me see what the flaws in this might be. Totally. There's there's a lot of that, I think, in law school and in legal practice. That being said, I, you know, I don't think that the experience of the LSAT like mirrors what it's like to do the academic work of law school. I know there's some data out there that it's predictive of 1L performance, and maybe it is for some people. But anecdotally, I know a lot of people that really struggled with the LSAT and are phenomenal law students. So I wouldn't want anyone to think that if the LSAT is not enjoyable or easy, that law school won't be enjoyable or easy, because I definitely don't think that that is necessarily the case. Yeah. All right. Well, law school, easy, says Ankita. We can enjoy, wrap that up then. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Law. Oh my yeah, God. law school, law school, easy and enjoyable. Yeah, there, there it is, is, holding you to I'm, it. Right? I am getting canceled after you guys put this podcast out. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is my moment to be taken off the internet. One and done, test taker. Law school's easy. Harvard law is easy. It is. It is not easy. Oh but you know what? It genuinely is. There are parts of it that are enjoyable, and I think it should be right. Like, and you know. Final exam week is not enjoyable. Sitting on exam four, which is the software that we use to type for several hours, is not enjoyable. But going to class and engaging with my classmates, it really is. And I would hope that it would be or it could see could be something you see yourself enjoying if you want to commit, you know, three years of your life to it. Yeah, absolutely. What's been, you know, kind of the most enjoyable part of law school for you? What do you look back on your 1L year and, and just think very fondly of? This is so cliche because I feel like anytime you ask someone what they like about an institution, they'll say the people. So I'm, I'm sorry to give a cliche answer, but I do really enjoy getting to know my classmates. And I think the 1L experience in particular is so it can bring you so close with your section mates because you see each other literally every single day in every single class. I mean, it's like more intense than a Hogwarts house, right? The amount of exposure that you have to each other. So I think that, <laughs> I think that creates the opportunity for you to form really close social bonds and, and also intellectual ones and really learn from each other. Because at least in my experience, we, we needed each other's support to, to get through the year. Very beautiful answer. You're going to be a good diplomat. You give very diplomatic answers. <laughs> I could see you in the State Department one day. It's true. It's very diplomatic. That's so real. Okay. Re- okay. Can I use that as a reference when I apply? Oh, for sure. I don't know who's going to care about Henry Ewing's, you know, r- reference material. But hey, you know, like, hey, what are you going to do? Well, thank you so much for, you know, your time and, and sharing your experience. Guys, if you are looking for a tutor who both thinks that the LSAT is easy and law school is easy, you know where to find her at sevensage.com slash get LSAT tutoring. Thank you, Akita. This has been wonderful. Yeah, thank you. 
Okay, no worries. For more LSAT study tips, visit 7 See you next week. <laughs>